today on Ag News Daily. A lot of attention right now is on what's what's the Fed going to do with regard to their interest rate policy. Listeners, May 10th, 2023, Wednesday edition. Tanner and Delaney here to hit some headlines and bring you another great conversation today. Right, Delaney? That's right, Tanner. Oh, we're off to a great start with the small talk, I could tell. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a marriage sometimes with you where I don't always feel like talking to you, but I have to anyway. <laughs> Oh, listeners, this is great. We're uh, enjoying ourselves as always, as you can tell. We thank you so much for hanging out with us. Let's jump right into weather. We've got some strong storms expected late tonight into uh, parts of Nebraska and Iowa. Another round of severe weather is possible headed into the weekend, according to the National Weather Service. Gusty winds, unfortunately, hail are the main risks that come with this storm movement in central and eastern Iowa. Thunderstorms will be likely again Thursday through Sunday, turning severe Friday and Saturday. We continue to watch the flooding that comes along the Mississippi River between Iowa and Illinois. At Keokuk, the river was 16.6 feet overnight. Anything above 16 feet affects low-lying buildings and other structures within that area. But DTN's meteorologist John has stated here that we may be looking at a switch of weather patterns delaying here in the upcoming. We will get this wet and warm exit to this week, but we may see a trough form that will shift the middle of the country and create a cooling effect. So we don't have temperature forecast yet, but a majority of the central region could see temperatures below average and uh, look to see where we're headed there. West is going to see temperatures above normal, but we will continue to watch that cold front as it pushes down from Canada to see if that brings us any unique weather patterns for this spring. So we may be wet through the end of the week in the Midwest and then cool next week, Delaney. And that's certainly adding some pressure to the commodity markets, Tanner, but another big headline that has as well has been the third cancellation of Chinese corn imports. China canceled their third sale yesterday morning to the tune of 272,000 metric tons of U.S. corn. And prior to yesterday, China had canceled about the same amount on April 27th and a little bit more on April 24th. So the market is really starting to get concerned about China's economy and their demand for grain and oil seeds. However, as we know, they have started more publicly turning their attention to trading and doing business with Brazil, but more so on the soybean front. So it is calling into question, you know, whether or not China is slowing down exports altogether and simply can't afford them due to a slowing economy or if there's something bigger at play. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting because you know we saw the announcements coming out of China about their anti-spy crackdown, and we'll continue to keep an eye on there. But China is also stating that we should remain calm because they believe there's a political solution in play between Russia and Ukraine. So China's foreign minister has warned against having the emotional views of the war in Ukraine because they say. 
after their visits with both parties that there is a potential for a political solution. So a lot of mixed headlines, which makes you wonder, Delaney, if China knows more than others. Uh, obviously, as we continue to watch their crackdown on information, it looks like China has actually been negotiating deals in their own currency instead of the U.S. dollar, which could make trade transparency even less clear as we continue to watch their movements. Uh, it'll certainly be something that we'll continue to monitor here and share updates with our listeners as they come. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a few other headlines here related to the Russia-Ukraine situation. Tanner, over the weekend, we saw shipments and inspections halt completely on Sunday and Monday as pressure was on. Uh, you know, Ukraine had their victory day on, I think it was Tuesday, was technically the date there. And before that, we, of course, reported earlier this week on Russia uh, having some blitz strikes ahead of that date and during victory day itself we saw china or excuse me we saw russia continue to celebrate quote unquote with ukraine or really just play with them during that time as they uh sent missiles over during ukraine's victory day we have seen finally outbound inspections resume in the black sea area once again but the deal still is not done and it's appearing that discussions are not going well tanner tensions are extremely high between ukraine and russia right now and the ukrainian nuclear power plant has now been notified they are under threat of an accident or potential bombing again due to the ongoing tension between them and russia so not a particularly pleasant situation going on there tanner no, and it, it's interesting because you see headlines, Ukrainian officials are saying that Russia is not allowing nuclear power plant staff to evacuate as these are anticipated offenses are headed their direction. So you hear that, plus then you hear that three sites in Russia regions bordering Ukraine were attacked by drones early this morning, and those attacks were successful. You also get the Ukrainian military saying that it has inflicted huge losses on Russian forces in the city of Bakhmut, uh, also in a form of a counterattack in that area. So you get both sides of uh, the information. Of course, we talked about how China's foreign minister is saying that there's a solution ahead, but now we've got Japan's foreign minister selling CNN that Tokyo is in talks to open a, a NATO liaison office, saying that they feel the world is less stable and they don't see an end in sight for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So uh, it, it's hard to tear through headlines as we look right now, but ultimately it's something that I think you can get a little truth out of each article there. And the whole picture will soon reveal itself. Of course, we're still following up on the Wagner terrorists that were in uh, the area that are now stating that Russian military forces blatantly lied to them during their positions, put them in a quote unquote meat grinder with tactics that became unfavorable to their position. And of course, now they are looking at providing additional sanctions against United States and the United Kingdom and the EU as uh, we're looking to monitor what the French lawmakers are going to do in a discussion that comes out of 
this private Wagner military group. So we'll continue to see how things push forward, but uh, a lot of little headlines to share there. Absolutely, Tanner. I'm sure you'll have an opinion on this next piece of news, but it sounds like President Biden and uh, Kevin McCarthy, speaker here, have been really meeting and trying to discuss a negotiated solution to raising the U.S. debt ceiling. We are, from analyst expectations, maybe about three weeks away before we hit that debt ceiling number. And the Republican side is not wanting to raise it completely without any sort of amendment to the debt ceiling. Uh, The U.S. Senate hasn't been able to pass any bill on raising the debt ceiling in the current round. And the U.S. is in danger of default if something doesn't happen by the first week of June. Technically, it sounds like we've already hit the debt ceiling, Tanner, but the U.S. Treasury Department is doing some creative accounting, apparently, to buy some time. And it sounds like we're not really going to see anything until the 11th hour, but it's really putting some caution on Wall Street as they're watching uh, inflation numbers, uh, the treasury bonds, and the dollar, and seeing how it's impacted there overall. Yeah, my opinion is more along the lines of they all know where the middle ground is and what each party has been very clear about to where this will get drug out until the last minute. Nothing will be done early as far as that goes because nobody wants to concede. Uh, ultimately, they know where the middle ground is going to be. And everybody has their own opinion on that. But we're continuing to watch. Like you said, U.S. futures were slightly lower this morning. We're looking at the April Consumer Price Index report coming out just after we wrap up recording today. So we can hit some updates on that tomorrow. Stocks were mixed as they closed on Tuesday. Of course, the Federal Reserve will continue to watch this as well. You know, consumer price cooled off slightly in the last report. It went from 5% down to 4.9. So it is a slow but steady deacceleration. Uh, We'll continue to see what has happened here. Of course, that initial 4.9 was lower than economists had expected. And it was the 10th consecutive month that that number had decreased. So we'll continue to see where May is headed. But the last headline I've got for today, Delaney, is J.R. Simplot is being sued for water violations out of uh, Idaho. They face a $120,000 fine for running an Idaho feedlot without a waste permit. Down in the Snake River watershed, the district now has filed a Clean Water Act lawsuit in the U.S. District Court of Idaho. They are filing that against J.R. Simplot, the company, and Simplot Livestock Solutions. The group alleges that the pollution discharges have continued present day, coming off of a 150,000-head feed yard in Grand View, Idaho, near that Snake River. They are continuing to uh, allege that discharges were allowed without proper permitting. J.R. Simplot has not responded to the allegations yet uh, as far as things are considered. The defendants previously had a permit, but that permit expired in 2012, Delaney, and they never sought to renew the permit, and that's what is being accused right now. If everything sticks... The fines could actually add up to 121 million. So we're starting at 120,000 as the low end. If everything sticks, it could be a $121 million lawsuit. So that would be significant and obviously would inflict 
a lot of damage as far as that goes. It certainly would, Tanner. I saw that piece of news as well. Glad you dropped that into our news headlines here this morning. The final headline, I have our DTN fertilizer prices. Looking again at the last week, we have five of the eight major fertilizers lower. For the first time in several months, retail fertilizer prices are somewhat varied, according to their DTN tracker for the first week of May. Five of the eight major fertilizer prices are lower compared to last month, while the remaining three are higher. And again, a significant move is anything more than 5% one way or the other. Anhydrous continues to lead fertilizer prices lower, and nitrogen fertilizer as well continues to push lower. Uh, meanwhile, three other fertilizers were slightly higher, but not significant. And I uh, was reading through Josh Linville's commentary from StoneX a little bit earlier this morning, and he said, all in all, he's expecting to see across the board all eight major fertilizer prices come continue to come lower here during the summer months. So a little bit of a forecast there for our listeners. Yeah, that's good news. We actually just recorded uh, an episode that'll come out in a couple of weeks for Farm for Profit. And we're saying the same thing, that uh, there may be some pockets where prices stabilize, but ultimately expect prices to be lower. Obviously, as long as foreign relationships stay on a little bit of a consistent basis without any hiccups. So we'll continue to watch that. But how are markets reacting this morning? Well, markets are certainly getting pushed lower on the big news of another Chinese corn cancellation. July corn closed, or excuse me, shed two and a quarter cent in the overnight will open here this morning at 582 and a half. Dees new crop corn down three cents will open this morning at 515 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the July contract shed three and three quarter cents to open this morning at 1410. November soybeans shed just a penny and a half. We'll open here this morning at 12.53. In the wheat contracts here, July hard red winter wheat shed seven and three quarters cents to open at 8.48 and a half. And in the livestock pits, a quick update on where they closed yesterday. June live cattle added $1.50 yesterday to close at a buck 63.92 and a half. August feeders added 302 and a half. Not quite limit up moves there. We'll open this morning at 226, 12 and a half. And for the first time in quite some time, Tanner, we saw some positive movement in the lean hog markets. June lean hogs added $1.10. We'll open here this morning at 84.40. Tanner, without further ado, we are kicking things over to a conversation I had with Matt Erickson talking about farm profitability and the overall economy with Farm Credit Services of America. As we continue to look at farm profitability here in 2023, you know, we have a lot of conversations regarding commodity markets, but we don't often do a deep dive into the lending situation of producers, inflation, their borrowing costs, and how that's impacting farm profitability. And we're talking about all of those great topics today with Matt Erickson, who is an ag economist and policy advisor for Farm Credit Services of America. Matt Certainly no shortage of topics to talk about here in 2023, but which one do you think is most top of mind right now for producers? Wow, that's a big question. You know, I, I think when I talk to producers right now, you know, obviously there's concerns with, within the, the U.S. macro economy. 
where are interest rates going? Um, and that trickles down to the farm economy as well. And so, you know, if I can start off with the U.S. macro economy, a lot of attention right now is on what's what's the Fed going to do with regard to their interest rate policy. And right now we're between 4.75 and 5%. That's where the, the Fed target range is for their effective rate. And, you know, when we look at what's connected to that and what, you know, Fed Chairman Powell's looking at, that's got to be linked with inflation. And, you know, last June, last June, July, we were about 9% year-over-year inflation, the headline CPI was. You know, this this last March report, we're at 5%, so we at, we've seen inflation go down um, here as well, given where interest rates uh, increases have been. But when I look at inflation, you know, as a whole, I think the concern is core services. So things like, you know, airline services, you know, insurance services, things like that, we're at about 4.1% year-over-year. And that's something that the Fed's got, got to take a hold of. And so the, the question is, you know, does the Fed do another 25 basis point increase? Do they stay, you know, the, the same for their May meeting? I think that I think they're going to base their decision off, off data. And so, you know, that's that's been a big impact with producers with regard to where that situation is going to go here. Yeah, and I mean, they've given indications that it's probably going to be another one or two interest rate hikes again for 2023. But then in 24, theoretically, we start to see things come back down. How quickly do you think we see interest rates for farmers, for borrowing capital, come back down as quickly? Well, I think I think it's too early to, to, to tell because a lot of the decision that the Fed's going to base their um, decisions on is going to be data driven, and we just don't have that data yet. Now, when you look at you know what the market's expecting versus what the Fed projected in March, you know the Fed kind of gave an indication that they may go up another 25 basis points. You know, I wouldn't exp- I wouldn't you know that could be a situation. Um, and if you look at you know where the mark- market's expecting, we could see interest or reductions um, with regard to you know things tightening, um, the, the economic growth situation starting to slow, um, the potential for companies to pull back on labor, uh, job openings are starting to, to come down. They're still historically um, high. They have gone down from the peak, but again, all those things are putting uh, pressure on the labor market. They put pressure on wages, and it also is part of the calculus with regard to what Fed decision is going to do with regard to their interest rate policy. So that's probably not an ideal answer for farmers listening, thinking like, what am I going to do for 2024 borrowing rates? Because it's hard to really think about that yet. But I think it is something that farmers are constantly vigilant and thinking about 2024 decisions. But when you look at 2023 trends, did you see farmers borrowing less money, more money, the same amount? I mean, how did interest rates impact their operating notes this year? Well, when, when we look at the what the farmer's been experiencing, I think from a holistic standpoint, you know, we've had two years of really good um, farm sector profitability within the system, within agriculture. And what that allowed producers to do was build up some of that working capital. Um, it allowed them to, you know, purchase, you know, different types of things for expansion on their farm. And so they've had situations where they've had that ability to build up working capital. 2023, what we're seeing is, you know, prices are still relatively good, but we may be switching the tide here a little bit with regard to that the agricultural economy. For instance, over the past two years, we've been under kind of a supply-driven market. Things were exceptionally tight. South America had multiple years of drought. Um, that's what really drove the row crop side of the market. Now, you know, what happens with over what happens with supply-driven markets is we get we get overproduction potentially. Brazil's expected to have a, a record corn crop um, this year. 
we're expected to have a large crop here in the U.S. And so I tell producers to really look at the time frame between Ju June and August because that's when the Brazil's second corn crop, their largest corn crop, hits the market. But that's also kind of the peak time for our weather market um, here in the U.S. And so those, both of those things, um, you know, kind of colliding at once, markets are going to be reactive to that. So right now, a lot of it's about planting farmers getting the crop in the ground, but that's going to switch over here where the focus is going to be on the weather side, you know, this summer and even into this fall when we think about harvest. Yeah, and, and we're hopeful that farmers are able to get planted because as you look at North Dakota, South Dakota, a lot of those folks are having weather issues already for the year. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, again, the, the market's kind of held steady. Um, you know, the, the one thing I would say where it's, it's important to touch base on is with this macro situation and with interest rate increases, we've also seen the U.S. dollar appreciate um, actually quite a bit. Um, you know, when the, the peak happened, actually the past two years, it's kind of actually increased about 25%. Um, it's since weakened a little bit, um, you know, since that peak. But we were at the highest since 2002. And so over the past two decades, you know, we haven't seen the, the, the U.S. dollar index appreciate like it did and to where at the levels at, at where it was. And so all those things have an impact on our exports. And when you look at least corn exports, they've been struggling here, you know, for this marketing year. And so, you know, if, if there is some sort of Fed pivot, now, mind you, this is a global type of issue where we've got other countries you know, and their central banks increasing interest rates um, as well to control their inflationary problem. All those things are dynamic. And so, you know, if the Fed starts to kind of slow down with their interest rate increase, you know, what does that mean for the dollar? It could mean if we see a Fed pivot, it could have a weakening, you know, dollar effect to it, which is, which is good for our exports. Absolutely. So let's let's switch track just a little bit and, and look at the debt load of farmers just a little bit more. Because when you think about debt, we break it down into three categories, short-term, intermediate, and long-term debt. Um, paint us a picture of where we're at here with the current farm debt load. Yeah, I think with the current farm, current farm debt load, I think, you know, with them, with farmers being able to build up some of that working capital and utilizing, you know, historically low interest rates, you know, I think that's really helped the situation. You know, we're not, we're not close to levels, you know, back, you know, comparing this situation with the 80s. You know, farmers are able to, if, let's say, for instance, purchase land, ground, you know, whatever it may be, they can they can extend that term of the loan. You know, it's not a variable rate loan; it's more of a fixed rate loan for a longer for a longer lifespan. So that's certainly helped farmers purchasing an asset, extending the the life of that loan to, you know, something that's more than just a year. It could be 20, 25 years, things of that nature. Where it gets a little bit the the stress for twenty twenty three comes down when I talk about margins. A lot of it's on that variable rate debt. I mean, obviously, with interest rates increasing, um, you know, prices are still relatively good. But again, higher interest rates also mean that margins are, are going to be a little bit tighter here uh, because the cost of borrowing is, is going to be higher. So, again, you know, I think overall, ag is, ag is resilient. Ag is still strong um, within the sector. Um, what I tell customers a lot when I go out and speak with them is, you know, the past two years, prices were good. This year, margin, like I mentioned, margins are tighter. It's it's us. It's important for for our customers and us as farm credit for for us to walk through their their expenses, what those margins are, and if they haven't locked in some of those variable expenses, you know, stress test them. You know, making sure of okay, you know, if I if I increase the cost of this, you know, what would that do with my margin? And why that's important is when the time is right to act in the market they're comfortable with their margin. And that's the, that's the key here for 2023 is going to be comf comfortable, being comfortable with their margin.
Well, and you know, you speak of mar speaking of margins, we've still continued to see farmland values at these record high levels. And it really calls into the question for me is, you know, as we look at some of that longer term debt, you know, we're still seeing farmers pay record prices for farmland. So are you seeing a lot of farmers have the intention to lock in an interest rate now with the mindset of refinancing later? Yeah, first let me address one. Um, with regard to farmland, you know, what's important is a lot of times what we see um, as the headline is, you know, a farmer paid, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars an acre. What's important is all real estate's local. And those are situations where, you know, whatever the situation may be, if, if a farmer's been waiting to, to purchase that ground for, you know, a decade plus or whatever it may be, they've got more demand for that, that ground. Um, every farmer's situation is different, and especially when we talk about farmland values, you know, that one, it's important that it's, those are local. From a holistic standpoint, yeah, farmland values are, are they've appreciated. Um, that's certainly helped on the equity side um, of things on the farmer's balance sheet. But also too, you know, when we think about interest rate increases, yeah, that's gonna have a little bit of impact with regard to, um, you know, farmland prices, but also commodity prices have been really good. And so that's also, you know, part of the calculation with regard to, you know, demand for farmland. You know, when you have $6 corn, farmland looks a lot more attractive than when corn's $3. Right, but we still have had record high input costs as that's well right. that you have to take into consideration. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the importance of going back to farmers understanding their margins and not being over leveraged within their situation. I think, uh, you know, maybe a good question to kind of wrap up that discussion of, of debt load too is just reading something recently that said Chapter 12 bankruptcies were at their lowest level in years, I think, for uh, 2022. Are we expecting that to continue to be the trend here in 23? Um, and that's a good question. You know, I think, you know, for, we, we certainly hope, we, we don't, we don't hope so. Um, but, you know, one of the things that farm credit brings is we have experts that, that handles, that handle commodity specific issues. And we, t that's one of our things in our mission statement is we are experts. And so, you know, we want to help producers kind of manage, manage the production side, you know, the debt side, um, as well as, you know, kind of just their overall margin, you know, and what to think about there. You know, one thing I didn't touch base on on the farmland value side, we talked a lot of, on the purchase side, but part of that margin calculations on cash rent. And so when we have prices for farmland go up, um, like they have been, commodity prices are high, like I mentioned, cash rents are also high as well. And so, you know, farmers got to think about paying, you know, high prices for cash rent. Um, they've had to pay flexes, you know, for instance, um, where you know that's kind of a, a shared agreement between them and and their their landlord. So all those things play into consideration for for overall margins in 2023. Matt, when you think about 2023, what are the other important issues we haven't touched on today that you're going to be watching closely for producers? Yeah, I think on the row crop side, I'll bucket this into two um, areas. One on the row crop side, corn and soybeans. You know, in particular, it's looking at that Brazilian crop and the U.S. weather situation. And, you know, I think when we look at the current state right now, I think markets are just focused on our farmers going to get the crop in the ground. So planting is going to be really important here this year. Um, as we move forward, weather is going to be more important here um, in the summer months and then obviously harvest. So, again, that, that market, the supply and demand fundamentals are, are pure. They've always been pure and, and they're strong. Um, on the livestock side, you know, swine, for instance, margins are extremely tight, even negative. 
uh, for, for some producers. And, you know, I come from a swine farm. Um, when you have to pay six, six fifty a bushel for, for corn, um, yeah, that, it's difficult. And the other thing that, you know, I think has to be talked about is the Argentinian situation, especially for soybeans. Um, you know, Argentina is a major player in the global soybean meal market. Um, they've had exceptional drought in Argentina. And so there's, there has, there's a supply gap that needs to be made up in the global marketplace of, okay, who's going to fill that, that soybean meal that Argentina can't produce because of drought? So all that, soybean meal prices are high, uh, corn prices are high. It's really difficult to feed feed a hog and livestock on those on those prices cattle i think the big question that i have is boy i mean inventories are low uh prices are are high pretty good for for cattle demand's still there for cattle and beef um, exports are in a relatively good situation consumer demand looks like it's still pretty good for for beef um, overall i i think when, if i can tie all this back into the macro economy you know one, it's going to be, you know, how resilient is this U.S. macro economy? The labor market's at 3.5%. But, you know, I look at last year and what the Fed did with the interest rate environment. Basically, the market reacted as, okay, what's the Fed going to do? For 2023, it's how the market's going to react to this. And to tie all this back in together, a strong consumer has to make, or a strong economy has to come from a strong consumer. All right, good job for bringing that to attention. I think that's going to be really valuable for our listeners. Delaney, thanks again, listeners, for hanging out with us. We'll be back again tomorrow. But what do you say for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.